0: This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude, it's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit canDowealth.com. Hello,
1: and welcome to the special Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. I'm joined by Craig Oliver, former director of comms at 10 Downing Street during the David Cameron era, and Sophia Gaston, head of foreign policy at Policy Exchange. So how is David Cameron's comeback coming along? He's been in the news for various reasons, but as problems in the Middle East and war on the continent dominate the headlines, there is a question as to whether the foreign secretary's experience is coming in handy. Sophia, just to start, when we look at the, I suppose, at the past week, the strikes in the East, David Cameron being front and centre in the media round at the weekend, is there a sense that the fact he has an experience being number 10 is meaning that he has more of an impact now, or is it a hindrance?
2: I think in a deteriorating security environment like we're living in now, um, and particularly one where we have... Very constrained resources, and so are having to make hard choices about all of our foreign policy decisions. I think the capacity to hit the ground running, like he's been able to do, has been really invaluable. There weren't that many people who would be able to come into that job, really from day one, go straight into meetings with Jaishankar, calls with Blinken, and so on, and then obviously having to be on the ground in Ukraine, and then the Middle East, um, and dealing with the situation in the Red Sea. So I. I think, you know, his experience has certainly been a very useful asset here, as has his relationships. I think that's another really important part here. Of course, um, because Britain has been very staunch in its support for Israel after the um, horrendous October 7th terrorist attacks from Hamas, Cameron has actually come into that role with some pretty good relationships in the Middle East and the Gulf from his time as PM. And certainly that has helped um, being able to give a more kind of balanced impression to all of our different partners in the region. So I think on so many levels, his previous experience, but also his relationships, perhaps even more importantly, has been a real asset at this uh, really challenging time for foreign policy.
1: Now, Craig, of course, you know David Cameron well in terms of how he works from your time in Downing Street. I suppose to some listeners, they may be wondering... Does a change of personnel really make that much of a difference? As in, has anything been material different than if James Cleverly had stayed in the Foreign Office? now that David Cameron is there. Is there anything you can spot or do you think it is pretty continuity in terms of the direction?
0: No, I I think it's been a huge difference. And I think that one of the things that we used to talk about, uh, about an element of the prime minister's role was what we call flags, fireplaces and flak jackets. And, and there's a sense in which having somebody out there who's basically on the world stage, standing in front of the fireplace next to the flag or in the flak jacket, as he was in the picture on the times today, it's basically he's a heavyweight that people want to see they want to talk to he can go in there he can get open the door and he also understands as Sophia was saying he's got a huge amount of experience so I think on all levels it's been a major success we've actually been punching under our weight in the last few years in terms of um, foreign policy and having somebody in that people want to talk to and also is going to have some intelligent views I think is, is is a real bonus and everything I hear from the foreign office is that they're actually delighted to have somebody who's Got the capability to do that and is actually being seen at the forefront of foreign affairs.
1: Sophia, what would you say to that? Do you think there are, what would you say the difference, I suppose, in terms of a James Cleverly run foreign office and one with David Cameron at the helm? There are some who say that James Cleverly got on very well with civil servants, whereas David Cameron can get on well but has a bit more of a a grip or a sense of where he wants to go.
2: I think that we should give credit where credit's due. And I think James Cleverly proved to be a very effective foreign secretary in a time where we needed to repair a lot of relations. And he certainly covered a lot of ground and and I think most of our allies, um, you know, and and sort of partners knew uh spoke very warmly of him. They found him to be, you know, a strong listener and and taking things on board and and engaging with a quite deft approach to relationship building. So I think he should be applauded for that. And it's also true that he certainly um, established a much more kind of conciliatory collaborative relationship with the Foreign Office, which, of course, the civil servants were um, happy to work under. And I think after a few pretty traumatic years, they were quite happy to have that lift in morale. And that, of course, often produces better outcomes. I do think something very interesting about having Cameron back in this role is very rarely are politicians given the opportunity for do-overs. And um certainly you can see a high motivation for him in in coming back and doing this sort of job because there were certainly some aspects of his foreign policy legacy which were quite mixed and I'm sure have subsequently been a source of frustration for him. There's an interesting parallel if we're thinking about the kind of Red Sea strikes last week, uh, the strikes on on the Houthis, when you think about Cameron, of course, that really uh, difficult vote over Syria strikes back, you know, a decade ago. And I think he, he has learned from those experiences and is able to bring that into the conversation. So that's, that's another real asset and, and something that doesn't normally <laughs> come to play in these kinds of appointments.
1: Do you agree with that, Craig? Um, do you think that when we think back to David Cameron's decisions in number ten or the government he led he he might have some things that he if he you know had the gift of hindsight might have done differently?
0: yeah, I think that the Syria example are really good one. A lot of people felt at the time that if we just acted first. And then had the debate afterwards, would we have been in the mess that we got into over that? I do think that what's really important to bring out in this is that there were serious questions for a number of years about how interested the UK was in engaging in foreign affairs. Did it really want to punch above its weight on the the global stage? And I think what Rishi Sunak has done with this job of getting David Cameron in there at a particularly acute time with what's going on in Ukraine, what's going on in the Middle East, is say, yes, we do. He's also, by the way, subcontracted a huge part of the PM's job, and I think that that's worth talking about. But the but David Cameron has proven himself, I think, to be very deft in the last few weeks, too. He's certainly underlined the fact that we need to keep going in Ukraine and that British support is there. But more interestingly, I think he's kept Israel on side and said, look, we fully support you. And what happened on October the 7th was absolutely appalling. But he's also been able to keep them on side while also saying, look, what you are doing in the Gaza Strip is not entirely acceptable and that actually that he's done that without there being a major blow up so it's pretty clear the British government is on Israel's side but he's also been able to exert pressure and say look res- reduce some of the things that you're doing.
1: Yes it does feel as though there's been a shift as Craig says in terms of the UK approach to Israel where still saying we support you but if you look at David Cameron's language when he spoke at the Foreign Affairs Select Committee it feels as though he is becoming more of a critical friend one could say when it when it comes to their behaviour but some Tory MP He's almost suggesting that he, he's he gone too far if you speak to a couple.
2: I think that it's really the requirement of any kind of confident nation to be able to speak robustly with your friends and allies, even if you think that they are doing something um, that perhaps you wouldn't have chosen yourself. And I think that's why it's really important that we're having these conversations. And Britain is not alone in in starting to raise some of these issues with Israel's leadership. And, of course, we've seen a pretty astonishing rebuke. From Benjamin Netanyahu of the two state solution option, um, which I think very much is, is should be seen as a quite flagrant, you know, uh, departure from what the uh, very clearly stated American preference is here yet. So I think we're not alone in having concerns about how things are playing out here. And I think also we're not alone in uh, wondering what the longer term outlook is here because the question of who governs both Israel and Gaza when this, uh, Defensive action has been completed. is is becoming more closely into view, and I think uh, is something that we rightly have perspective and input on, as do many of our other allies too. So I would expect us to see. Uh, I would expect to see that we will continue to hold some feet to the fire here on this, while of course maintaining that um, we do understand Israel's uh, right to self defence.
1: And Craig, finally, you mentioned um, this idea that David Cameron is taking on some of the prime ministerial workload, or at least helping ease the burden on Rishi Sunak. There are some rumours, obviously accounts do vary, that Rishi Sunak asked David Cameron to effectively be his prime minister abroad when he made him foreign secretary. What bits of of the brief do you think David Cameron is doing to make life easier for Rishi Sunak?
0: Well, I think there are two things. I mean, it's clearly a hugely important time in terms of foreign affairs. There is an awful lot going on. And having somebody of the calibre of David Cameron to be able to represent the UK on the world stage is clearly a big thing. The one thing I think a lot of people would have a question mark against Rishi Sunak having David Cameron as Foreign Secretary is, look, you're going, you are in an election year, you're not doing well. One of the ways in which you can show that you are a strong leader is through foreign affairs and turning up and those flags, fireplaces and flak jackets that I talked about. And what I think is interesting is I wonder if there is a bit of Rishi Sunak who looks at the front pages of national newspapers, which regularly now have a picture of David Cameron with a world leader or in an international hotspot and thinks, Am I subcontracting this out and allowing that to sort of fritter away, that aspect of me being prime minister to fritter away? And I think it's a really interesting question because I think he needs to persuade people, you know, not that it, just that he's delivering domestically. That's the most important thing, but also that he is capable of being a statesman on the world stage.
1: And I mean, on that, Craig, I did say which is my last question to you, but I I can't help it. Um, there are currently quite good odds on David Cameron being the next leader of the opposition. Can you can you see that one happening?
0: I think it's just total nonsense. The idea in modern politics that a political party would be led from the House of Lords, I just think people just would not accept that. They would not consider that there was enough scrutiny on the person. And if they were to become Prime Minister from the House of Lords, it, people just wouldn't accept that. Of course, there are all sorts of possibilities about, you know, resigning and then taking up a seat or whatever. But no, I just think that this is a flight of fantasy too far, really.
1: And Sophia, just final question to you: if if we accept that it's unlikely David Cameron is going to lead the Tories from the House of Lords, even from the House of Commons, um, should he start and not start looking for a seat around now? What do you think a successful time in the Foreign Office will do for for where he sits? Because I think it's fair to say when he went into that role, he has not had a particularly blossoming post-Number 10 career in the way some predecessors have. It's been marred by lobbying scandal, talking about being in a shepherd's hut, also some of those decisions on foreign policy. Is this effectively a chance of redemption for him?
2: I think it is a chance of redemption. I think, more importantly, it's a chance of through this role, he will be able to rewrite the ending of his story on foreign policy, uh, show that he too has been through a kind of learning experience on all of those issues, and that he's been able to apply them to produce outcomes that hopefully will stand the test of time. And what I would say just to finish is that this government has been struggling enormously on its domestic agenda, but its foreign policy agenda has been very strong. So in that respect, he is actually sort of joining a winning team there. So I think the odds of him leaving this government with a more positive foreign policy, a legacy behind him are quite
1: strong. Thank you, Sophia. Thank you, Craig. And thank you for listening.